0: Welcome into another edition of the Deep Slant Podcast. I'm your host, DP City. We got a great podcast. This week, as always, we got the man with the big stop against Jacksonville, Justin Reed, on the podcast. And the Texans are heading out to LA to face the Chargers. We've got Eric Williams of ESPN. He covers the Chargers every single day out there on the West Coast. That's all coming up. But first, the Deep Slant Podcast presented by Xfinity. Hey, Texans fans, quarterback, your in-home Wi-Fi network from anywhere. On any device with the All Pro control of Xfinity XFi. This is Beyond Wi Fi. This is XFi. Xfinity, proud partner of the Houston Texans, and proud partner of this podcast. So let's get right to it. Justin Reed, you saw him make the stop at the, on the two point play against Jacksonville, but you know, no, the expectations are through the roof for this second year safety and of course I start off the interview right with that play that's exactly where we started Justin Reed on the Deep Slant podcast. Justin big game against Jacksonville you came up with the stop I know you've been asked about it over and over again but tell me what you were actually thinking before the ball was snapped that final play.
1: Um, Before the ball was snapped I I kind of expected them to give the ball to Leonard you know he was their star player their featured player it was Minshew's first time playing in the game if I was offensive coordinator I would have wanted to give the ball to my star player as well, kind of take the pressure off the young rook and let my star player finish the game. And I was actually responsible for him on that play. Um, D-line did a great job getting excellent push, really pushing the D-line back, giving him only one place to go. And that made my job easier to just go in and fill a gap, make a play.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about all the moving parts that it took to sort of make that play happen. How many times have you guys watched it since the game ended to sort of break down what everybody was doing?
1: Yeah, I've watched it a couple of times. I, And you know, I like... We hear about it, and you know, and I I get all the credit for it, but it really was a team effort on that one play. You know, I was just the one who was able to make the tackle. But like I said, the D line did a great job doing their job. Uh, The DBs did a great job covering everything up to discourage them from wanting to pass the ball and wanting, wanting to hand the ball off. It's really just a team effort.
0: All right, we talk about your rookie year, how much success you had. It's year two for you. What is that like for you, expectation wise? It's kind of hard to top the rookie year that you had, but how do you sort of set goals for yourself and measure success?
1: Well, you know, I get to build on top of what I did last year. You know, I, don't get, I get to start at where I was last year, build on top of that as far as mentally, um, physically, uh, I get to come in just with a little more experience. Now I know the defense a lot better. Um, I know my teammates a lot better. I'm a lot more comfortable. Um, now I get to be the guy making all the checks and calls, and I you know my teammates rely on me to do that, and I feel like that's one of my strengths is really dissecting what the offense is doing formationally, um, what their adjustments are, and just trying to combat that and just, you know, make some plays whenever they're presented to me.
0: We had Brennan Scarlett in the locker room asking players questions. One of them was, who would you pick for a group project? Your name kept coming up over and over again, obviously, because <laughs> you went to Stanford. But yeah. I, I, I saw somewhere that you had only picked Stanford the night before that you had to declare.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's actually a true fact. I picked it on signing day. I was between Stanford and LSU. Oh, on signing L- day. Yeah, Stanford and LSU on signing day. I made the decision uh, the night before I woke up and decided to go to Stanford. And there's a couple of reasons why. Um, First and foremost, like, my brother was out there at the time playing with San Francisco. Um, Secondly, Dwayne Aquina, one of my favorite coaches of all time, he just came from Texas, long resume of guys like Earl Thomas, Kenny Vaccaro, Sage Griffin, Michael Huff. Um, And I just wanted to feed off that experience that he had to, to teach me. And then thirdly, I mean, it's just, you know, the school, the opportunity that's there, you know, the people you meet. I've I've gotten to sit down with senators. I've gotten to sit down with the CEO of Google. Uh, met with the CEO of Yahoo, you know, just get to meet people.
0: Yeah, and your brother, like you mentioned, he was out there playing for the 49ers. You got to keep in touch with him a lot over those four years, 100%. right? I know You said that you got to actually, he would watch. Would he yeah. watch your film or you would watch his? Yeah, film?
1: I would go to his house and I would watch his games. If we both had a home game, we'd watch each other's games. Um, he would actually show me their tape of the week before and break down what they did schematically, uh, what their keys were, what an NFL, the differences between an NFL offense and a college offense. Like you won't see as much of the QB read because nobody wants to get their starting quarterback hurt in the NFL. You know, you can't replace them. You know, so he just taught me those things so that when I did come in last year, and that's what really helped me be so successful is that I didn't feel like it was my first time going through it. You no, know, even though that it was, I felt like I've kind of seen a lot of it
0: before. Did you ever have time to go to his games or did he have time to come to your games? I know the NFL oh, schedule sort of crazy like that with college, but did yeah. you guys actually get to watch each other play? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I loved going to his games. You know, he's in the same uh, section. Um, it really, whenever we both had home games, it happened about three times a year.
0: You got to go sit and watch him play. Well, yeah. you get to be... Playing him in a few weeks. I know everyone asks, what's the game that you're looking forward to on the schedule? And you've made, like, no bones about it. Yours is going to be week four, playing your brother, because that doesn't happen very yeah. often that two brothers get to face off. It'll be the
1: first time that it's ever happened for us.
0: Yeah, and yeah. it's so early in your career for year two for you two to face each other like yeah. that. What What has that been like for your family?
1: Oh, man, everyone's really excited. Uh, my parents already have the split jerseys done. Um, shoot, I'm trying to recruit as many tickets as I can in the locker room. Right now, my list is at 30. Um,
0: I feel like it it's might, gonna go a yeah, lot higher. it might, higher than it that, might right? jump
1: up a little bit higher. <laughs> um, so, you know, just doing that recruitment.
0: You said that uh, that you might have a pretty big cheering section. But is it gonna be, you think you have more of a cheering section or you think Eric will?
1: Oh, I'm the home team. It's gotta be me. It's
0: gotta be home yeah, team. Yeah, it's gotta be Is a there home team. more pressure on him because he's older? Because it's only your second year, but he's a veteran. So is there more pressure on him to have a better game than you, do you think?
1: Um, we are both very competitive. You are. We've already started our competitive streak. We track how many tackles and how many interceptions we have for the whole year. And we're we'll, like talk, mess with each other the whole time. But it's all in like good heartedness. I don't think there's, there's any more pressure on him to go and perform than there is on me to go and perform. Because I feel like it's a standard that we both. Hold ourselves to to go out and always put it put our best on the field every time we step out.
0: How much do you guys help each other now, or how much does he help you now in the NFL? Obviously, oh,
1: 100. You know, no. You're not
0: you're not in the competing division or anything.
1: Yeah, how and one of the cool things talk? one of the cool things about that we're playing each other's divisions this year is that I'm able to give him some notes on the Jaguars, Titans, and Colts, and he's able to give me some notes on New Orleans, NFC South, yeah, yeah. on the NFC South and all the teams in there. So you know it helps us with some tendencies, some familiarity there.
0: All right, I know we've talked about your engineering the degree that you're getting at Stanford. Did I read correctly that you're gonna start maybe taking some classes locally to sort of speed that process up that you're gonna to go to Rice? Yeah.
1: So okay, I'm allowed about. to take one semester. That's super exciting for local rice
0: fans, by the way. I've yeah.
1: Been. Yeah. So I was I might actually do it this season, you know, because I was thinking okay. it'd be really good for me. I really want to stay in Houston this year, really try and, you know, spread my roots in here so a little bit more now that I'm getting settled into the city. So maybe this off season I'll go out and take some classes at like, Rice,
0: like spring, summer, like that. Or like no the, yeah,
1: like around the winter time. More, well, really, right after the uh, the season ends, whenever that is. Hopefully, it's not till summer.
0: Is that kind of nice for you? Because I mean, school is just such a drudge for a lot of students, but for you, because you you're focused so much on football for part of the year and then to go to school and get to focus on like something that's completely different from what you do every single right, day. Right, hundred percent. Or are you just like more worn down by the time because <laughs> you I feel n- like like i in a little cool
1: little gray area, because <laughs> I'm, like, kind of like of a a half alumni, kind of not, you know, of am still around the a age as a lot of these kids, but at the same time, I get to talk to alumni about, you know, the real world and things that i of doing outside of school, too. So of kind of an interesting perspective. All right, what, what's,
0: what's your best class? a little bit of a little bit
1: so I'm in high school or in college?
0: Mm, let's do both.
1: Okay. Um, growing up in high school, it was always uh, mathematics. I was always a big numbers guy. Um, that makes ask, sense
0: for engineers.
1: Don't right? ask me to write a paper because I'll be really bad at it. Um, <laughs> Unless
0: it's about math Right. and it's all numbers. Right, right. you okay. know,
1: some that there's one answer <laughs> to, you know, um, and then in college, it was really this coding class that I took, CS106A, um, which is really just about introduction to coding. Um, eventually that segwayed into prediction models and that type of stuff is just always really interesting to me.
0: Maybe you can make your prediction models for the NFL, like stats analysis, yeah. stuff like that. That'd yeah, maybe cool.
1: down the road. We'll see.
0: All right, we'll see. Good stuff. Thank you so much, Justin.
1: I appreciate you guys.
0: I wrote a story about Justin a little bit after the offseason ended. I think it was right after the offseason ended because he was going back to Stanford to sort of chip away at his engineering degree. And that story got so much, uh, so many clicks and so much attention because it's a rare for a, an NFL athlete to go back and pursue a degree with the time constraints of being in the NFL, and then it's even more so hard for them to do it in a, in a field like engineering. And I mean, I went to engineering school, so I felt like I could relate to some of the talk about the coding. It's, I mean, this is really complicated stuff, but I mean, I think for a guy like Justin, that's a nice break for him to get to sort of do something that he doesn't get to do the rest of the year, but I think it's very cool, the statistics and the analytics. I I think that I do remember chatting with him about how uh, that's definitely something that can be applied to football. Obviously, statistics, data, anywhere can be applied, but making, making those statistical models. So, I, I mean, I think this is a conversation we're going to continue to have, especially if he's pursuing his degree at Rice. So, hey, if you see Justin Reed on Rice campus, it's not a lookalike. It's actually him. All right. Well, next up, we've got the Chargers. It's week three. Philip Rivers, uh, and company out there. And the last time we were out in San Diego, well, that's where the Chargers were. Was 2013. It was the second of a doubleheader on Monday Night Football. It was a 9:10 Central Time kickoff. Brian Cushing with the pick six to seal the win for the Texans. The rest of the season, not so many highlights, but that was definitely a fun game. Probably one of my funnest memories um, on the field from my from most of my seasons, but especially that first year because that was really the only road win. And uh, to see Phillip Rivers still playing at the high level that he is now, uh, we had a chance to catch up with Eric Williams, who sort of talked about the Chargers as a whole. They just kind of came off a loss against the Lions. But, you know, that's a team that everyone is always talking about in that division uh, for postseason because there is a Phillip Rivers, and they're so talented on both sides of the ball. So let's get right to it. Eric Williams from ESPN right here on the Deep Slam podcast. The Chargers coming off a, a pretty tough 13-10 to loss to the Lions. After winning the season opener in the overtime game against the Colts, what's the buzz surrounding the Chargers right now out there?
2: Well, I think there's been a lot of talk about the injuries just because of the the, the stature. Some of the guys that have gone down, you know, Therwin James obviously is out going to be going be out for a while because of foot injury that he suffered during training camp, and then they lose Hunter Henry, uh, an important part of their offense, for about six to eight weeks with a knee injury. Um, so I think for them it's just kind of overcoming – Uh, Not having those guys, you know, failed to mention Melvin Gordon, who's out due to a contract issue, uh, trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to do on offense and defense in order to replace that production. Um, Obviously, a disheartening loss to the Lions last week. They made a lot of mistakes. They felt like they probably should have won that game. Uh, But they come home, they host the Texans, and now they'll try to regroup and see if they can get back on the winning side.
0: Yeah, certainly the Melvin Gordon storyline—one that we were all sort of following in the off-season. You've got Austin Eckler out there filling in for Gordon. What is the latest on Gordon, and how has Eckler filled in in Gordon's absence?
2: Yeah, with Gordon, obviously uh, he wants to be paid amongst the top running backs in the league—thirteen, fourteen million annually. Uh, the Chargers probably, uh, excuse me, probably from what I've been told, uh, have offered about ten million annually. So they haven't bridged the gap. Uh, right now, the Chargers are basically telling Gordon that he's going to pay for, play for what the, the contract uh, is in terms of his rookie contract is five point six million uh, for this season. Uh, I think Gordon, if you talk to people around his camp, uh, wants to make sure that he's fully healthy when he hits unrestricted free agency. So that's one of the reasons he's sitting out, uh, but has to report at some point. So the league gear doesn't pull. So he's expected to report sometime there mid season. Uh, Austin Eckler has played well with, with Gordon out. Uh, he's amongst the leaders in terms of yards from scrimmage. Uh, four, scored four touchdowns. He did have a fumble at the goal line uh, against the Lions, so we have to clean that up. But I think overall they're happy with the production again from Austin, but would like to have Gordon there as well.
0: Let's talk about Phillip Rivers. Obviously you can't talk about the Chargers without talking about Rivers now in his 16th mm-hmm. season. There's always so much talk of what a gunslinger is and how – the Chargers, you know, will make that postseason push as long as as long as he's under center. How has he looked through two games, especially with not having Gordon in the backfield and not having Hunter Henry? Yeah.
2: I think he's looked like the old Phillip Rivers. You know, they obviously are going to lean on Phillip a little bit more offensively because they don't have Gordon there. Um, he does have two interceptions, but um, for the most part, I think he's doing a pretty good job of distributing the ball uh, and not making mistakes. Uh, the arm strength is still there. Um, he's obviously not the most noble, mobile guy, although he did have a 12-yard run for a first down. Um, but I still think that he's the same guy you've seen in the past. He's going to be fiery on the field. He's going to be talking to the opponent. That's just how he operates. Um, and he still can, can make all the throws uh, in terms of, you know, making them from the pocket. So I think he's pretty much the same guy.
0: I love his fashion sense, by the way. i he uh, been rocking <laughs> the, the outfits, the bolo ties <laughs> this yeah. year.
2: Yeah, I mean, he he, he did rock the bull tide, I believe, in the Detroit game. Um, so that's something he's going to continue to do the the belt Good. buckle and the, the cowboy boots. That that's that's his swagger. That's how he rolls. Uh, and I think fans have grown to appreciate that from Philip over the years. He's 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 the same guy that he was when he when he entered the league, um, and and that's not going to change.
0: Well, good. I, I like to hear that. You know, when the news of Hunter Henry broke, there was some talk of the Chargers possibly calling up Antonio Gates. Uh, what happened yes. with that? Is that still a possibility for the Chargers?
2: Yeah, there was some talk or speculation that Gates could potentially return to the team. Um, I think that's unlikely at this point. Um, you know, just based on conversations I've had with people inside the building, um, Gates remains a free agent. Um, certainly he he might sign with another team potentially, but I think right now uh, the chargers are just gonna play with who they have on their roster. Potentially, it might bring up somebody from the practice squad because they only have two tight ends on the uh, the roster right now.
0: The kicking situation is such a unique one in San Diego, and I don't know if unique is the right word, but I saw that uh, <laughs> I don't know how You're else you would kind. I don't know how else you would word it. Um, they have their punter stepping in as as a field goal kicker. What can you tell us about the Chargers kicking situation, and do you expect that to continue like that?
2: Well, as you mentioned, uh, Ty Long handled kicking duties along with punting duties the first two weeks of the season, and that's something that he's done in his past. He came from the CFL, and he had a lot of success there uh, as a kicker, punter, and the guy that handled kickoff. The Chargers brought him in because of that, because of that versatility, and they really wanted to use him as a kickoff specialist Michael Badgley, who came in last year as a midseason addition, performed uh, well for them last year, but he's dealing with a groin issue, and that's why he didn't play the first two weeks. He did kick on Friday of last week, though, and was, I think, pretty close to playing. I think they're hopeful that he can be healthy uh, on Sunday against the Texans. The issue is, though, is they don't want him to have any lingering issues with that groin issue, issue. They don't want to run him out. And then he gets re-injured, and now he's going to be out for a longer period of time. So they're going to make sure that he's fully healthy uh, going against the, the Texans on Sunday. Um, but I think they're hopeful that he can play on Sunday.
0: Yeah, it looked like the puncher um, there, Ty Long, he missed a couple of field goals. If, mm-hmm. if the kicker is not ready to go, you think they sign someone else, or are they they're going to just stick with the situation they have?
2: I think they would stay with Ty Long as it stands now. But certainly there's a possibility they do sign a kicker if they don't have faith in him uh, going out there and making the kicks. He was good in the, in, in the first week against the Colts, uh, made, uh, I think, a 39-yarder, made all its extra points. Obviously against the Lions, it was a different story. He struggled, missed two field goals. Um, so that's an important area. You know, A lot of games are within a touchdown within the league. Um, but I think for right now, as it stands, If was not available, I think they would go with Ty Long again.
0: All right, let's switch gears and talk about that defense. The run defense, uh, the Chargers, they got stingy after allowing over 200 yards in Week 1 against the Colts. Uh, They did pretty well against the Lions. What what do you think was the biggest key in the Chargers' ability to slow down the opposing ground game last week?
2: Um, I think continuity, just just having the same guys out there again and, and, and being disciplined in their run fits and where they need to be playing and play out. Uh, The Colts were able to to create a lot of explosive plays through the run game, particularly second half of that game. They only had 29 rushing yards in the first half against the Chargers and then kind of opened things up in the second half. Obviously, the Colts have a pretty good offensive line, too, so that's that's, that's part of the equation as well. Um, So I just think having some continuity and getting guys on the same page against the Lions, they were able to perform better, and we'll see if they can continue to do that against the Texans.
0: Uh, let's talk about fan support. The last time uh, we played the Chargers on the road was back in 2013. They were still in San Diego. Now they're in L.A. What's the mm-hmm. situation with the fan support like? Have they sort of embraced having the Chargers there in town, especially with the Rams uh, also playing in the same city?
2: Yeah, embrace probably isn't the word I would use. <laughs> uh, oh, I would fair enough. It's <laughs> developing. <laughs> uh, you know, just it's, it's a unique situation. Obviously, you're playing in a soccer stadium. Uh, there's 27,000 seats. So when the Texans were in San Diego in 2013, you know if you had 10,000 Texans fans in there in a 65,000 seat stadium, their presence can be felt, but not as much as if they're in a smaller venue. So now when you, you play in a smaller venue and you have 10 to 12,000 opposing fans, uh, their presence is just felt more than it would if you're in a, a larger stadium. So I think that's been the main issue. I think they're continuing to to gain more fans in L.A., but um, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of uh, pro teams in uh, L.A., um, and then you know they're not fully being embraced at this point. There are some fans from San Diego that have continued to follow the team uh, up to L.A., but I don't think we're going to really be able to truly evaluate how they're doing in the market until they move into the new stadium in Inglewood, which happened in 2020. Um, They're pricing their tickets a little bit lower, so they so more people can afford to go to the game, we'll see if that helps. Um, but I think we're, we're still kind of in wait-and-see mode in terms of uh, how they're doing in the market.
0: Does Philip Rivers still drive that big bus uh, in training camp to get to the facility where he watches film? <laughs> Is that still a thing it's out there?
2: It's a Cadillac SUV. Uh, he does not drive it. He has a driver that drives it. Oh, of course, of work. course. Uh, yeah, he's, and it's set up so he can he can watch film in the back while he's driving so he can be productive uh it's a nice looking vehicle um i think it's probably about 80 minutes from him door to door uh going back and forth Uh, which in la if you've driven in la if you're driving from one part of the la to another part it could take you that long to get from one place to another um so yeah he's still making the commute
0: i love it all right thanks so much Uh, eric what are some of the stories that you're going to be working on this week heading into the texans game
2: uh, yeah, I think one of the main stories is you know talking to Derek Watt, uh, JJ Watt's younger brother. This will be the first time they actually face off. Uh, the last time uh, the Chargers played against Houston, in Houston, JJ I think was dealing with a back injury at that point. Um, so he's looking forward to to go against his older brother. And Derek's actually two and zero against his brothers. He they beat the Steelers last oh, year no. and played against TJ. Uh, so you know there's a little bit of talking back and forth. You know, of course, that the brothers uh, text each other daily, communicate with each other, uh, and are really close. So I think that's kind of one of the main storylines I'll be focusing on this week.
0: Definitely. Same here as well. I'm sure JJ is going to get a ton of questions about that because first time he's get, getting to play with his, uh, against a brother, They've uh, he's been hurt both times with the Steelers and with the Chargers. So. Very much looking forward to it. All right, Eric, thank you so much. Eric Williams covering the Chargers out for ESPN out there in California. Thanks so much, and we'll talk on Sunday.
2: Sounds good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right, it's going to be a fun matchup out there in L.A., a soccer stadium. It seats about 30,000 people, and I think a lot of of the traveling Texans are going to be there because we've been getting some tweets about jerseys. They're wearing red, by the way, even though the Texans will be wearing deep steel blue. And I think I'm really excited to see what that experience is like, playing in a smaller soccer stadium, obviously – Texans played in a studio Azteca studio in Mexico City a few years ago, but that place was humongous. So to play out there in L.A. in a smaller, more intimate setting, I think should be a lot of fun. And hopefully it'll be more fun if we're this time next week talking about a win. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. You can always check out HoustonTexans.com for all the coverage leading up to this Sunday's game and right before the game starts i am on facebook and social media doing texans unlimited presented by verizon along with john harris we take fan questions we give you your hot topics of the week and then we'll also show you the players as they're practicing and warming up on the field for the game so it's your inside look to the texans warming up Uh, no other network is carrying that at that time so be sure to tune in and send me your question we'll try to get to as many as we can uh, each week. So, all right, that's going to do it for the Deep Slam podcast presented by Xfinity. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and go text.